Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm speaking to you from West Orange, New Jersey, while my special guests, Ethan Alexander and Karen Newell, are speaking to us from Charlottesville, Virginia. I met Evan at the Open Center in New York City a few years ago. I even have a picture with him and a signed copy of his best-selling book, Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. And now it is certainly going to be my pleasure to also meet Karen. They are associated with Helping Parents Heal, the inspiring nonprofit organization dedicated to assisting bereaved parents by providing support and resources which aid in the healing process. I was looking forward to interviewing them last April at the Helping Parents Heal Conference in Charleston, South Carolina, where Eben was going to be the keynote speaker and Karen was facilitating a workshop that involved sound meditation. Sadly, the conference was canceled due to the pandemic. But the good news is that we are together now even well-known author and speaker, and Karen, co-founder of Sacred Acoustics Audio, which focuses on special binaural beat technology for meditation, are the co-authors of Living in a Mindful Universe, our neurosurgeon's journey into the heart of consciousness. We three are about to have a fascinating conversation about consciousness, meditation, the continuity of souls in addressing grief and more. But first, please stay tuned while I take a quick minute to show some love to our sponsors. We'll be right back. Even and Karen, welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. Let's begin our interview with this question. Even, please tell us about your profound near-death experience that occurred in 2008 and the important insights you gleaned from the research you did after your near-death experience. Well, Irene, thank you for having us on. It's great to be here. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I'll give kind of the Cliff Notes version of my journey, so we have plenty of time to talk about everything else. Uh, but it's all there in proof of heaven. Uh, it basically uh, was a, a, a profound, ultra-real adventure into spiritual realms, but the reason that the scientific community and medical community take my case so seriously is because of all of the uh, scientific evidence in my medical record of the destruction of my neocortex. Uh, and that's what makes my case so important, uh, uh, is really that the evidence was laid out for us very clearly that I should have had no experience whatsoever. A brain where all eight lobes of the neocortex uh, are basically suffering full thickness of swelling from a severe um, uh, bacterial uh, meningoencephalitis is not the kind of setting where you expect any kind of conscious awareness, dream or confabulation or drug effect, much less the extraordinary version I had. Uh, now to keep it uh, kind of short, 
Uh, an important feature of my NDE, even though it had many just profound features of measuring uh, 28 to 29 on a 32 point scale, the Grayson scale of NDEs, uh, there was one unusual feature that makes a big difference. And that was my amnesia, that I had no memory of Evan Alexander's life. I had no knowledge of earth or this universe. So I really went through the entire spiritual experience with an empty slate, with no prejudices, no uh, kind of assumptions. Uh, and that was a real gift uh, that I determined in the months and years after the coma, because it helped explain so much. Uh, it really came to me in three major phases. It began in what I call the earthworm's eye view, a primitive course unresponsive realm, a very kind of murky and uh, foreboding. Although I, since I had no memory of anything else, I thought, well, this is the way things are. And it was not uh, so foreboding to me. But I was rescued from that by a slowly spinning white light that came packaged with a perfect musical melody. Uh, and that served as a portal up into a rich ultra real realm that I refer to as the Gateway Valley. Now it had many earth-like features. I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There was a beautiful young woman there who served as my guardian angel. There were thousands of beings dancing in the lovely meadow below us. Uh, in many ways, it was like Plato's world of ideals. It was kind of a perfect world. There was no death or decay anywhere, but it was also a world in which we kind of learn and teach that's what happens at the end of life, according to near-death accounts going back thousands of years, the life review, uh, that kind of thing. I witnessed a kind of reunion with um, uh, this beautiful loving soul and with these many other souls. Uh, and that was uh, just kind of the stepping stone, though. That gateway valley was not my ultimate destination. Uh, and in fact, all the joy and festivities I witnessed in that arena were being fueled because up above were these swooping orbs of angelic choirs emanating chants and anthems and hymns that would just thunder through me and awaken me to the power of that infinitely loving and healing God force uh, at the core of all existence. That's what near-death experiences bring back to this world is that bathing in that ocean of love of God is something where we come back and we realize there's nothing to fear about death, that it's not an end at all. Uh, that in fact, our existence as humans goes far beyond a little one incarnation, then eternal heaven, hell, or nothingness. Now that uh, uh, the angelic choirs provided a portal up to what I call the core. The core was the sanctum sanctorum of the divine. It was the oneness of eternity, infinity, the very dwelling place of that infinitely loving God force. It was beyond a boundary that many people do not cross in an NDE, but I was blessed to cross it several times in part of my lessons. And then I would come back down to this, uh, to the lowly uh, earthworm I view realm without any explanation. But I learned that by recovering the musical notes, the melody, that allowed me to go back up again and again and again. And we go through all of this in detail, not just in, in uh, Proof of Heaven, but especially also uh, much of it further interpreted in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, that Karen wrote with me. And that's where we really put the science and spirituality together, because these are very real events. Uh, and modern science is getting to a point where it admits the absolute reality of these events. And then we have to start explaining more about how it all works. Yeah, it's amazing that science is backing all of this up now. It's when, when, when I had my spiritual awakening, it was considered woo-woo. And today more and more people are getting on the train. Eva, can you, uh, you just for our listeners, can you just expound a touch on when you say there's nothing to fear about death because a lot of people go through their lives and that's all they are consumed with is their fear of dying. 
Well, I think that the important thing that my journey showed very clearly is the brain does not create consciousness. It does not produce it um, out of the physical matter of the physical universe. Uh, and that's where the entire scientific community is getting on board. Quantum physics, all the findings of modern neuroscience, philosophy of mind, every bit of this, and this is what we argue in great detail in Living in a Mindful Universe, uh, is about an expanding model of understanding of the nature of consciousness. And when you find that the brain doesn't create consciousness, but serves as a filter to allow primordial consciousness to manifest in this physical realm, uh, then that shows you, well, guess what to expect when you when you leave the shackles, the prison of the physical brain and body, your conscious awareness actually expands tremendously. It doesn't come to an end. So it's the exact opposite of the oblivion that most materialists and atheists think is awaiting there at the death of the brain and body. Uh, and yet the evidence of scientific evidence uh, for the story that we're talking about, about the fundamental nature of consciousness, is one that is absolutely rocking the entire scientific world to its core today. And it all has at the tip of the spear near-death experiences. That's fantastic. Uh, Karen, you've developed a deep personal knowledge of the spiritual realm and an expertise in living a life of daily connection to human consciousness. Please explain your eye-opening personal history that manifested a worldview that is just now coming into focus for so many people. Well, I would put it this way. Really, most of us, really all of us, when we're born, we're born into a family with a certain set of beliefs, certain religion, certain culture, and that's really the what our beliefs become. We sort of just follow those patterns. And when we get older, sometimes we leave that family home and family town and learn more and maybe change our worldviews. But I was, as a child, kind of resisted my family's worldview. In fact, my grandmother, who was a devout evangelical Christian, sat me down and my brothers when I was about seven years old and explained to me that if I would believe in Jesus and accept him into my heart, I would avoid spending an eternity in hell. And I thought, really, that's all I have to do? It just didn't make sense to me. And I said, well, what about all the kids around the world who don't hear about this? What about them? Are they going to spend eternity in, in burning in hell? And she said, well, you know, we have missionaries for that. We do the best we can. And I immediately rejected that aspect of this worldview as a child. I'm with you, Karen. I'm with you. <laughs> Yeah, I rejected it. And in inside, I didn't really argue outside, but inside I thought, oh, that can't be true. And as I went through life, I really was always questioning authority when they would give us these, uh, you know, this is how the world works. Um, it had to make sense to me inside. And so I really feel as though I stayed that open-minded, naive child in a way, because I didn't allow other beliefs to sort of form my opinion. I wanted to know firsthand if things were true. And I fortunately had a family that wasn't very authoritarian. So, uh, you know, my parents were divorced. My mom was a working mother. And so my brothers and I, we were kind of stay-at-home kids and raising ourselves. I went to church and things like that. But inside, I had this other worldview. And I kind of uh, enjoy explaining it through a psychological term called locus of control. So people with external locus of control believe that they're really a victim, a victim of circumstance. Whatever's going on around them has the greatest influence on their life. 
but internal locus of control is a little different. Those kind of people believe that their behaviors, their actions have the most influence on what happens in their lives. And I was decidedly, very extremely internal locus of control. I didn't believe that anyone had any control over me. And I don't know if that's because I was born in the 70s, women's lib was such a, a big thing, but I had very good understanding of who I was as I went through life. And uh, I maintain this open mind and my beliefs have been um, really more focused on what are the universal truths say that all the spiritual traditions can agree on and even the secular world can agree on. And this is where I find the real meat of truth is where all of those paths kind of converge and are saying the same things. Yeah, that's fabulous. Um, even why is the continuity of souls important in addressing grief? I think it's especially important because, uh, you know, for those of us who grow up, grew up with this um, kind of notion of uh, living in these bodies, birth to death, and that that was all that, that was there to our existence, uh, can be very, very confusing. Uh, because what one thing that my journey showed me very clearly, without exception, is that I had to come to know reincarnation, that our souls don't just have one incarnation, but they come here again and again in a process of refinement. Uh, and that has everything to do with the connection between souls and relationships, our loved ones. That's why, uh, for example, in the NDE community, you often hear about deathbed visions, uh, people who uh, have visitations from loved ones who have already left the physical world. That's just an indicator to us that the real reason we exist is all about these relationships and all about learning and teaching. Uh, and it just cannot happen in one lifetime. So we have to look at a bigger theater of operations. And for those who um, you know, are not familiar with reincarnation as a concept, I'll tell you, uh, I didn't realize till after my coma journey that there's a tremendous scientific literature supporting reincarnation as real. Uh, it's work uh, largely done out of University of Virginia. If you want to learn more, go to uvadops.org. That's Division of Perceptual Studies uh, at UVA. And they've done tremendous work for more than six decades now uh, as scientists investigating uh, many aspects of non-local consciousness. But one of those is past life memories in children suggestive of reincarnation. And they've accumulated more than 2,500 cases of such stories from around the world where the best explanation is actually one of reincarnation. And when you realize how carefully vetted and analyzed these stories have been, you realize this is a very strong scientific basis on which to uh, make conclusions about our lives. So, and it's all about love. It's all about relationships. It's all about the things that humans would love it to be about. Uh, and yet the science fully supports that that is true, that we have responsibility for our choices, that if we manifest love and kindness and compassion uh, for ourselves and others in this life, it comes back to us beautifully because of this kind of reciprocal uh, arrangement we have with knowledge of the universe. So, whoa, 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 let me just ask that. So we're telling our, our listeners that if they manifest love and kindness, it's going to come back to them? that that's it that's the rule so what what do you say to the guy that tripped you on the street and you've been loving and kind to your aunt that morning i mean uh how, how does it you know for people who are the doubting thomases who are listening uh if they manifest love and kindness 
will that really start to change their lives? It's It starts to affect everything. I mean, Karen and I often talk in our workshops about kind of the internal world and the external world. And uh, also something called the supreme illusion. The supreme illusion is an acknowledgement that in fact, it's always been internal world. We believe all that external stuff is out there. And yet it's always been a mental model within mind that we think has a faithful uh, uh, kind of representation to a world out there. And yet the deepest mystery of quantum physics uh, and of the emerging science of consciousness is that all of it is really mental, that the, there are top-down mental causal forces in this universe that have to do with our mentation. And the more that we uh, engage with that in a loving, compassionate, compassionate way of oneness, expressing highest and best good for all involved, the more the universe begins to reflect all of that love and compassion back into our awareness. So that internal one is world is one that we have a lot of control over, but it turns out that what we view as the external world is also very largely part of our internal world. That's fascinating. And I do want to support what you said about the past life memories of children, because I'm not part of a scientific study, but my, when my grandson was two years old, he exited the bathtub and announced to me, Gaga, I've lived before. And I found out all about a past life, and he claimed that he was a caveman with his twin brother. Right. And yeah. he said, hey, he said, a lion ate me, and then my brother ran away, and then a few days later, the lion went and got my brother. It was like, he said it like completely. As a matter of fact. As yeah. matter of fact. As kids do. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> and that's not just uh, imaginary noise. That's a real memory. And the whole world of transpersonal psychology points to that. And, uh, you know, the work of, um, of Carl Jung and then uh, Stan Groff, uh, Michael Newton, Brian Weiss, uh, brilliant clinical investigators who realized um, that past life memories that were uncovered in their patients through hypnotic regression or kind of spontaneous epiphanies or meditation or prayer uh, had a basis in helping them understand the events of this life. So it's a very practical sense in which we should look for the events of past lives to help us come to solutions and understanding of the events of this life. It's such a comfort, like when, like when for my, for me especially, well, in my situation, having lost my husband the way I did, it was such a comfort to find out that it's not over when it's over. Right. I hope That's... to be with him again. We're going to come back, and uh, you know, we, this is school, and that is home. It it just changes your whole view of your life. I have a 95 year old mother and we joke around all the time and she is very open now to spirituality. I tell her, mom, you would have, you'll be very busy. I'll be contacting you over there. We'll be back again <laughs> together. It's really, it's great. So with that said, Karen, your thing is specialized binaural beat technology, which has enabled you to reach expanded states of awareness. Please unpack for us your journey of discovery. I know it's going to be fascinating, including how binaural beat technology enhances meditation. So for all of our listeners who are meditating out there, they may be very interested in this and how you developed your rare skill of discernment, which is the ability to navigate a pathway towards truth, which we need more than ever these days. So, we sure uh, do. There is so much information out there for us to discern what's true. But to start with the beginning of your question, I very much knew that there was more to us than our physical bodies. When I talked about the 
universal truths, one of those is that we have a soul that is not made of our, that's not part of our physicalness. It's a, a spiritual thing. I didn't really think of it as spirit because I had uh, kind of rejected that organized religion, but I thought of it, I could, still could think of it as a soul. And I knew we had a soul. And so as we were, as I was going through life, I wanted to learn more about that. And I was reading and reading and reading lots and lots of things and lots of, uh, spiritual texts will talk about that we all have certain abilities, that we can access the other side, that we're all intuitive, and that we all can, you know, be more of this, bring more of this spiritual part of us into our lives. But I didn't know how to do that. And I was, I started taking courses, course after course, things like healing, touch for animals, Reiki, um, I can't even remember remote viewing, things like that. We think you were woo woo. <laughs> oh yeah, everyone thought I was a little crazy for sure. But I would do this on the weekends. I had a regular nine to five job in the publishing world, and uh, that's what I did nine to five. But then I would do these other things in the evenings and weekends. And what I came to find out is that meditation is absolutely critical a critical foundation really for doing any of these other things. And so every course I would take, we would meditate and I didn't like meditating. I just, I was a busy project manager and meditating meant I had to sit still and let my mind go blank. And this was very challenging for me. My mind would never go blank. It was constantly rattling off all kinds of tasks or conversations or things I needed to do. And it was really, but I knew I needed to learn. And so it was the brainwave entrainment technology that really was the probably the most important thing to help quiet that racing mind. And I found that when I first started listening to these types of recordings, at first I would just fall asleep and not really know what went on. But as time went by, I was able to really have my body be profoundly relaxed as if it was asleep, but my mind was still aware. And it's that it that's what's known as the hypnagogic state. And we're all in that state as we're falling asleep at night. Many of us are familiar, maybe more so when we're first waking up in the morning, potentially in a different location like a hotel, and you're kind of wondering where you are. That's that hypnagogic state. So you might still have access to dream fragments, but you're not fully awake. And this is what would be engendered while listening to these types of recordings. And that's when I really started to make a lot of progress. I learned that I had a lot of uh, emotional kind of things that have been had been suppressed long ago, issues that, uh, you know, about the divorce in my house and all of these things that had happened that I really didn't think of as problems. But in fact, they were emotions that I hadn't fully processed. And so they turned into blockages. So the first thing I had to do was kind of release those things. And as more of it got released, more of that spirit became available to me. And as time went on, I was able to uh, have my own past life memories. I was able to become quite good at remote viewing. That's a form of telepathy. Oh, that's cool. Wait a minute. Stop. Remote viewing. So you, you help people with remote viewing in different situations? Well, I learned how to remote view by basically um, what what the standard of that is, is someone might will put a, a photograph, a picture of something into an envelope and write a random number on it. 
all you receive is that number and then you kind of go into a quiet space and just start to write down or draw your impressions and then a little while later the envelope will be revealed and you get the opportunity to see if you were correct and over time i learned that i could feel signals in my body that were indicating that i was more correct you aren't always uh you know, correct when you do these things, but I was validated enough that I really began to trust my inner kind of promptings. And that's where that discernment comes in. Now, this was sort of a skill that was with me all through life, but it really became more enhanced once I really developed those meditative skills to get into those expanded states of awareness. But discernment is really about knowing deep within that something is true. And so the first thing you need to do is go back to that wide open mind and really kind of put aside all of your ingrained beliefs. Because if you wanna discern truth, you have to be prepared that one of your long held beliefs may not actually be the truth. And so that open mind is very important. And then it's you wanna read the information and analyze it cognitively and find the patterns and you know all of that but you also want to feel inside how does that feel when you receive that information and this can take some time to develop because but each of us can develop sort of these internal signals of of knowing if something feels true and what's true for one person may not be true for another and that's where we really have to understand that there's probably very little thing, very few things that we could really say are fundamentally universal truths. And one of those that I love to, to bring up, of course, the uh, we are all eternal souls is one of them. But another one is that this idea that we're all made of that love and people who go deep within eventually, just like near death experiencers, you run into that, you come across that love that's deep in the core, because in fact, we all are made of that love that Eben speaks of on the other side. And so somewhere deep in all of us, we can access that. And that is what I learned through doing a certain form of Sufi heart rhythm meditation and focusing on the heart, releasing all of those hurts and, you know, misunderstandings I'd had in the past. Some people have much more uh, severe traumatic events that happen in their lives. So it may not be so simple, but mine were more kind of standard traumas that that most of us have. And as I got rid of all of that and found that love at the core, that's the magic. That's where I love to live is in that loving kind of energy. And when I learned about the research of HeartMath, a organization that's been studying the heart for decades in Northern California, they talk about the heart emitting an electromagnetic field and expands and contracts around your body and influences the people around you. So the more positive, loving kinds of emotions you hold within, the more you're influencing the people around you in positive ways. And so I really took that information to heart, because, literally, because I didn't want to be responsible for influencing people with my stuff. I wanted to only influence them with pure, loving type of energy. So that's been my goal is to really hold that type of love within me as I go throughout my days. It doesn't mean that I don't get angry or upset, but when that happens, it's more superficial. Underneath is where that real essence of who we are really lies. And that's what I like to bring up more to the surface, very conscious, in a very conscious way.
I, I can totally relate to everything you just said because of my own experience. So I go through the world trying to be very loving and kind. And if I have a problem, I even call it, I detach with love. <laughs> I try not to get into the drama. <laughs> exactly. And this is the chance that you both have to tell us all about your book, which is a wonderful book. I read it. It's called Living in a Mindful Universe, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Heart of Consciousness. Could you give us a sample of the information and insights our listeners will glean when they read it because now they're all going to go and click on and get your book? Well, I, I think I would like to start by saying, um, you know, for anyone out there who thinks that modern neuroscience is on the verge of explaining consciousness, I can tell you what, that couldn't be further from the truth. The mystery of consciousness is more profound now than it's ever been in our history. And yet we're also making tremendous strides in understanding it. And that's what the book Living in a Mindful Universe is all about. We take a multidisciplinary approach to um, basically supporting the philosophical position of uh, objective idealism, which is the view that there is a mental layer of the universe that governs everything that unfolds in this world. And this is something that certainly is uh, a reasonable concept to uh, advanced quantum physicists and uh, people who understand uh, a lot about uh, kind of philosophy of mind and the binding problem and, and the hard problem of consciousness. So we're really trying to solve some very, very deep of uh, uh, problems and questions by really combining an approach from multiple uh, different points of view. And that's where I think it gets very exciting. In the book, not only does it have a tremendous scientific background, and it's been endorsed by some of the leading scientists of consciousness studies on Earth today, but it also, especially I'd say because of Kevin Karen's uh, input, uh, has a tremendous amount of useful wisdom for the individual seeker. Right. And that's where we really explain why does this philosophy matter to us in our daily lives? So the idea that we're, we're not a materialist society where only the physical exists, but we're actually a spiritual society that we reside in a physical world. And so this is why it matters. So the, the book also includes how in each kind of area of our lives we can bring this information into our, our knowing, especially when we're dealing with hardships and difficulties, we realize that those are learning opportunities. They're not just things that are happening to us. They're actually opportunities to grow, to learn, to uh, be more of who we came here to be and to interact with our fellow human beings in, again, this loving and kind way. That is really the, the main message of all spiritual teachers really is that we are here to be kind. That other universal truth that I love to speak about is the golden rule. And so the golden rule is where you love another as you love yourself or treat another as you treat yourself. But we also discuss how so many of us don't know how to love ourselves because we don't think we're worthy for whatever reason. Those childhood voices, you're no good, you're you know, maybe peers who made fun of us, those, those kinds of things stick with us. So the more we can really determine that we can love ourselves, that's the ultimate golden rule. Because as we're generating that love from within, that's what loving oneself is all about, becoming the love that we already are. And as we do that, as I said previously, we're influencing people around us in positive ways which makes that the ultimate golden rule. So loving yourself is not selfish. 
loving yourself is in, in the way that we discuss is actually becoming that love. And that's what we can all do. And everyone who's in any kind of relationship knows that love is that binding force. Somehow we, we are connected through that love and that's what motivates us through our lives. And so bringing that more to the fore can be so, so useful. I can completely relate to that also because when they pulled me out of the car and I got the loving and kind to everyone, I tell people all the time, you're everyone also. It's about also right. being loving and kind to yourself, you know? Um, you say that no one is alone and that we're always connected with our loved ones on both sides of the veil. Please explain how we're all connected through the binding force of that unconditional love and its unlimited power to heal. Well, I would say that certainly uh, having had a near-death experience and then paying a lot of attention to thousands of near-death experience accounts uh, told over uh, thousands of years across all continents, all belief systems, all religious systems, um, it becomes very clear that one of the central messages coming back from those deep journeyers is that the comfort and the kind of that makes that our spiritual home, how of uh, it is absolutely a fundamental part of our very awareness and existence to acknowledge that uh, kind of oneness that we have with the universe and with that loving God force of the universe. And yet, essentially, especially when you look at, uh, say, the practical presentation of, of life reviews uh, that have been reported by, you know, by the millions over thousands of years and again across this whole repertoire of human experience, the life review is one where basically uh, the soul going through it experiences the emotional impact that their actions and thoughts had on others around them. So the life review is not from that soul's perspective, but it's a gift to that soul showing them how their actions impacted those around them. And that's why the life review is such a beautiful example of the golden rule being written into the very fabric of the universe. That's why this concept of unity and the healing power of, of the binding force of love is so crucial for us to get. And it is something that emerges from the scientific study of thousands of these experiences. And I would just add, and you know, another one way to learn about love is to experience being loved or being loving. But another way to learn about love is the lack of love. And so many of us in our culture, the Western culture, at least to here in the U.S., is uh, that, that addiction rates are rising, suicide, suicide rates are rising. And this was going on well before the pandemic began. Uh, and now that's only making it worse, but it's that lack of love. Eben and I feel that that those rising rates are related to the idea that spirit has really been stripped out of our secular world. And it's been done for proper reasons, keeping dogmatic religion out of our government. However, the idea that we are, you know, spiritual beings has been stripped out of our culture. And so people proudly are agnostic or atheist. And uh, this is really doing a disservice. And it really, when, when you have that lack is when people start to take their own lives and, and find other ways like substances to replace it. And so- Or displace their feelings onto others. Or exactly. 
Exactly. So it comes back to that binding force of love. Everyone who is shown that kind of love and they're able when they're able to receive it wouldn't even think of taking their own life and they wouldn't have that empty hole that they're trying to fill with something else. And so that is another demonstration how that by without that binding force of love, people really suffer. And so this is something that that uh, we hope to really bring to all souls on earth no soul left behind because as you just you know eloquently stated we're all we're all connected and so we need to care about our neighbor we need to care about them and this is all about what you're doing and what we're doing through the podcast is to help people to know this and to begin to heal those empty holes within them exactly at international workshops we should demonstrate key practices of consciousness exploration heart awareness, intention, maintaining neutrality, emotional management, and cultivating internal knowing. Can you help us understand some of these concepts? Well, this is really speaking to that inner world. These are things that can't be measured by science. Our hopes, our dreams, our intentions, our underlying purpose for why we do what we do. And so the more that most of us, many of us, kind of just go through life automatically following these inner promptings. But if you can start to really understand those inner promptings, promptings and understand your kind of hidden underlying motivations, then you can start to realize where maybe you could make adjustments. And this is what we try to teach people how to do. And we often use that brainwave entrainment technology, which is designed to really bring the brain from that analytical state of mind to a much more relaxed state of mind. And that's when we can really start to discern between those racing kind of thoughts and those that other presence that is is within us all. And so that's what we try to bring to our in-person and online workshops. You've spoken to that all important spiritual level where most people conceive health on a physical, mental, and emotional level. But there's a very important spiritual level. Would you like to speak a little more to that? Absolutely. Well, I think it's important to remember, as Rene Descartes said, to define is to limit. Uh, so we sit there with our language and we kind of cut the world apart into all these different pieces. In many ways, they're, uh, they're kind of artificial cuts. Uh, and I would say that wellness or wholeness to talk about the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual components is really kind of ignoring that there's really one wellness and wholeness. Uh, and in its deepest sense, that originates from kind of the spiritual level. Uh, and when I say spiritual, for me, the best way to define spiritual is uh, that it provides uh, two components, really is a knowing of the connectedness of all. And that's fully supported by the modern neuroscience of consciousness and quantum physics that really points to the one mind uh, that we're all sharing. Um, and then the other key aspect is that there's a meaning or purpose to all this, that it's not just some blind, mechanistic, chaotic wheel with uh, no reason for being. And I think that our spirituality grows tremendously when we can appreciate the reality of that connectedness and also a sense of meaning and purpose. And that's where, uh, in many ways, uh, I think that our spirituality, our sense of, uh, of those qualities of connection, meaning and purpose, and knowing of that binding force of love is something that really opens this world to healing. Now, it turns out medical science in many ways 
uh, you know, has kind of known this for a long time. For more than six decades, we've used placebo effect as our gold standard for assessing any new treatment. Placebo effect is basically an admission right out of the gate. There probably at least 30% of the benefit of any kind of medication or treatment is due to the patient's belief that it, it can make them better. Uh, and it goes far beyond just a sugar pill for a headache. Uh, there's much more to this concept of, of, of healing. If you go to noetics.org, Institute of Noetic Sciences website, put in the search term um, spontaneous remission, you'll find a book they put out. It's out of print now, but you can download the whole thing from the website legally and for free. More than 3,500 cases of people with advanced cancers, infections, what have you, where they had healing that went beyond any expectation of the Western medical treatments that they'd had. And I would just add that Kelly Turner, who's a researcher, actually took that database and she went through and found all of the qualities that the different heal, uh, miraculous healing uh, situations had. And what she found was she identified nine factors in her book, Radical Remission, and uh, six of them were related to spiritual connections. Oh. Yeah. And so that's like feeling a connection to others, feeling a sense of purpose. It's all about how you feel. And those were the, the most important factors, six out of nine. The other three were things like diet and taking charge of your health. But spiritual connection is very key to these people who successfully healed themselves. I have to write that down because Radical Remission by Kelly Turner. Spiritual connection is very key to the healing. Yep. Absolutely. I, I think uh you know, it makes sense to kind of unify these concepts and realize just as medicine is recognized for decades, that the mind and our beliefs and our attitudes play a tremendous role in healing. And we can take charge of all that. Uh, that's where the spiritual component comes in. I don't need to say much more, but if you'd like to give us a message about the importance of healing on this side of the veil that you'd like to share with our listeners, please do. Do either of you want to encourage our listeners to get rid of those holes within themselves while they're here and why they should do that this time well, around? I think, well, I, I think it's also important to remember one of the biggest lessons I, I received after my from my NDE coming back to this world is that the hardships and difficulties in life, and that, you know, as a physician, that certainly includes illness and injury, that in many ways we should embrace these as gifts. Now, your ego is not going to like that at all. Uh, but the reality is, as we as we start to see the hardships and challenges in life, that they often can gift us with tremendous lessons and learning. I would say uh, you're a beautiful example of that. I mean, you paid a, a tremendous uh, amount to have your lesson in being in that uh, car accident where you lost your uh, loving husband. Uh, and yet look at what you're doing with it. Look at how you're growing out of the adversity of what many people would look at as a very dire circumstance. Similarly, I am taking the lessons I learned from, uh, you know, an absolutely should have killed me case of bacterial meningoencephalitis and bringing those lessons back to this world. It's important for us to realize that all the apparent evil and dark side of this world in many ways offers a silver lining of growth, learning and teaching together. This is all about the reason we came to this world as souls to live these lives is to grow, to transform. And in fact, I would say the reason for existence of the entire universe 
is to evolve, for consciousness itself to evolve. Just as uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin wrote in his a beautiful mid 20th century book, The Phenomenon of Man. Evolution is very real, but it's much bigger than just Darwinian evolution of biological systems on Earth. It's about all of consciousness evolving to a much higher form. And I believe that's what we're all participating in, becoming more whole as, as a world, as a civilization, and as life and sentience throughout the universe. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful thing that we're, that we're sort of going through that? Hopefully we're all going through that. We're part of that. And you two, our, our viewers, we, this is videotaped and this is also uh, audio and you will get to see Evan and Karen many times on our feeds. When you see this couple, um, you will know that I'm asking them about their tips for finding joy in life, but to see them is to know they found joy in life together. And if they are there, you can, their love just comes right off of my screen here. So would you guys like to tell people any tips that you have besides meeting each other for finding joy in life? Well, one tip for finding joy is to really find acceptance. Find, find a way to accept what is. Because when we're constantly resisting something that we don't like in our lives, whether it's a partner or a boss, or the weather or whatever it is, a job that we have, find a way to accept. But it doesn't mean that you can't take action to make those changes. So finding a way to be in the present moment and accept everything as it is, is a beautiful way to really understand that in all moments we can access that joy, especially in the present moment unless you're actually you know being rescued by emts from your car in that moment most of us when when we get into that now moment that's when we're not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or anxious about what happened the day before find that presence and nature is a beautiful way to do that kind of if, if you're in a city find a way to see the stars find a way to go to a park be uh with nature and feel the joy that comes just from a tree that's blooming flowers or whatever it is. There's joy just in the simple act of being and living. And that's what I would recommend. Oh, I think it's beautiful. Evan? Yes, I would, I would simply add that it's very important to go within. I mean, I meditate an hour or two a day. Uh, you don't have to do it that long, but you know, 15, 20 minutes a day to go within, whether it's centering prayer or uh, meditation. Of course, we can we highly recommend sacred acoustics because of uh, the power it has on the lower brain brainstem to really liberate consciousness in profound ways. Uh, but by doing that, one can develop a real trust in the universe that there is true guidance and love that we can use as a resource there. Um, and always remember the power that you have of uh, through gratitude it's to me the strongest virtue there is is gratitude because i believe that that uh basically energizes uh, everything else that can be a benefit in our lives and then never forget the power of forgiveness uh, forgive ourselves and to forgive others and allow you know cut some slack and allow us to live and grow as these divine spiritual beings all interconnected through the binding force of love that we are and we can learn and teach together and reach much higher levels of, of human accomplishment uh, and have a much uh, kinder, more harmonious world uh, just by showing uh, kindness, compassion, uh, empathy, uh, and love to our fellow beings. 
But of course, never forget loving ourselves. So many of us can't even do that. That was one of my problems before my coma. Uh, but love yourself and realize you are a divine, eternal, spiritual being that is here to help the world become a better place. That's wonderful. Now everyone wants to contact you and they all want to get your book and they all, all want to learn more. So could you tell us all about your the ways they can connect with you and you, if you have any offers for our grief and rebirth listeners, please do. Okay, well, first of all, if you go to sacredacoustics.com, there's a free download available to you just by putting in your email address. But also, if you scroll down the homepage a bit, look for the Whole Mind Bundle. These are recordings that were used in a pilot study in a busy Manhattan psychiatric practice, where after just two weeks of listening to these recordings, People saw a 26% reduction in anxiety. Wow. Yeah, and compared to 7% in the control group who were in therapy, but who weren't listening to these recordings. So these are available now because of the COVID pandemic. They're specially priced at just $19, but also there's a free option. For anyone in economic uncertainty, just pick free and you can download these recordings and start quieting that mind with our gratitude for taking the time to do that. And another way to get in touch with us is at uh, innersanctumcenter.com. You'll find I'm a- I'm going to say it again, innersanctumcenter.com. Inner, inner and on there, you'll find a free webinar series called United in Hope and Healing. And this is uh, something that Evan and I began in March when all of our events for the year were canceled, like everyone else's. We started connecting with our colleagues and, and uh, friends that we normally would have seen at conferences. So this includes NDE researchers like Pim Van Lommel, experiencers like Anita Morjani, and researchers and mediums and all kinds of people that we normally would have seen, they're coming on this program and having uh, conversations with us. And those are all available for free. And there's an archive of them since March that people can just sign up for a password and you'll have access to all of that. So we welcome you to join us there. And there's also on ebenalexander.com, there's something we call your 33 day journey into the heart of consciousness, also free. And you can sign up for that. It's an email program where you'll get an email every day for 33 days and also some samples of those sacred acoustics recordings. That sounds wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, I am so grateful to have had this interview with the two of you. It's just been wonderful. Your enlightened new worldview can surely help so many people enrich every facet of their lives. Thank you from my heart for enriching our lives with your special interview today on Grief and Rebirth podcast. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us because we know you do on social at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. As I like to say, to be continued. Many blessings and bye for now. Mm -hmm.